and welcome once again to A Novel Evening. As always, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as A Novel Evening Podcast and the same over on TikTok. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> Thank you for coming to listen to me once again. Um, you could probably hear from my voice that at the time of recording, my children are back to school. I am free. I'm able to record this while the sun is shining, not in the dark of night while they're tucked up in bed. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. September's brought some summer. By the time I listen to this, it's probably going to be grey as hell. But for now, we are enjoying a late summer. And my guest for today, firstly, I adored her debut novel on Wilder Seas. Uh, I mean, give me a pirate, give me a seafaring woman and I'm there. And I'm equally excited for the next book, Lilith. Uh, This is a character... I say character, historical figure, um, who I'm obsessed with. So we're going back to the Garden of Eden, the beginning of time, and uh, where the whole story of women being inferior first came from. Um, I'm super, super excited for this book. It also looks gorgeous. I have so many questions for Nikki. I cannot wait to chat to her all about the book, what brought her to write Lilith's story, and of course, to find out what she's going to bring for her novel evening. So a massive hello to Nikki. Hello. 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 Thank you. For How are you me. doing? <laughs> very, very well. Yes. My children have gone back to school, so I'm raring to go. And I, I don't know whereabouts you are in the country, but have you got the same sunshine late summer now they've gone back to school that we have? Yeah, it's absolutely glorious. I'm near um, Amersham, um, oh, nice. in London and Oxford. It's absolutely gorgeous here today. Really nice. And I like it. It sounds really awful, but now my kids back in school, I can actually just relax and enjoy the sun rather than carrying buckets and spades or other tat around with me. (laughs) Or constantly making snacks or constantly making sure they've got sun cream on or, you know, any of those other things that you have to do. Um, Much more relaxing. And I'm guessing now that the kids are back in school, I don't know if you managed to get any writing done over the summer holidays. Um, (laughs) You know what? No, not much writing because I'm at the stage now. My book's coming out in about a month. So that's all done. Um, I didn't do much writing. I did loads and loads of reading because I have... You know, I said summer's a chance for me to catch up on all the books that I haven't had a chance to read because of you know, you, you've been so busy during the year. So I've done loads and loads of reading and not a single bit of writing. Oh, that's beautiful. That's what summer's for, I think. Yeah. yeah it's you need for, to be able to go out and enjoy it. Yeah. A beer, a book and a, and a nice lie down. <laughs> yeah. And congratulations on Lilith. Remind me of the, the release date. When is Lilith out I'll in the world? In the UK and um, October the 17th, I think, in the US. Amazing. How does it feel? Um, it feels odd actually. I'm very nervous about it because it is it, it is going. It is a controversial book, <laughs> um, and I kind of I wrote it throughout lockdown. Um, and I and obviously that was a very strange time, and I felt very very free to follow um, my interests, my passions, the things I was interested in. I felt very free to go wherever it took me, so I did. Um, and then, of course, the world is back to normal, uh, and it feels uh, it feels more nerve wracking now. Uh, so, yeah, I am I am really nervous about it, and it's not going to be to it's not going to be to everyone's tastes. It's a strange book as well. I think um, I will be happy if it reaches some people who get it yeah. and really like it. That's 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 all I hope for it. Yeah, and it's a very different subject matter to your previous novel, which. I absolutely loved On Wilder Seas. I love a good seafaring woman anyway. So that was one for yeah. me. But you've gone for something very different as yes, well. Yes, 
it's about things that I've been thinking about all my life. It's about misogyny and religion. It's, um, I suppose if it has a similar, if there is anything similar um, about it to my previous book, it it, it it sort of takes the idea of, of way women have been ignored or, or, or cut out or their stories not told. Um, it, it, so it's, it's, it's along those, those lines as well. Um, but it is very different. It's sort of uh, mythological. Um, it's mm -hmm. part mythological, part um, historical, um, part philosophical. It's, um, it's, it's very, very different indeed. Whereas my first book was very much a straight uh, historical novel um, about a particular woman inspired from from real life, um, the woman who sails on the Golden Hind with um, with Francis Drake in the 16th century. So this is uh, very different. I suppose, the, and the main difference, of course, as well, is the 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 time scale is is very very different. Yeah. My first novel takes place over the course of, of most of it is is over the course of nine months, um, which is the nine months that Maria is on board the ship with Drake. Yeah. This novel takes place over the course of 6,000 years. So it is very different, very different challenges, um, a very uh, different experience indeed writing it. Yeah. Firstly, I'm familiar with Lilith as I'm going to say character, um, but explain for listeners, tell us about this novel. Tell us about Lilith. Yeah. Well, um, Lilith has sort of, just as a sort of a preamble, really, Lilith has really, really, really long history uh, in myth. You know, she appears in some of the earliest uh, texts ever written, you know, from, from Sumerian mythology, where she is this um, demoness figure. Um, and she kind of sort of, uh, she, she sort of changes in different times and places, but this, this particular version of the myth that inspired my novel is a medieval uh, Hebrew myth, which uh, stated that Lilith was the first woman. Mm. So before there was Adam and Eve, there was Adam and Lilith. Lilith was Adam's first wife. They were created equal. Um, and when she tried to assert her equality, um, she was chucked out of paradise uh, for daring to assert that woman was equal to man and turned into this demonic figure, which is the sort of guise she'd already been uh, sort yeah. of uh, known in you know, thousands of years by that point. Um, so she turns into this demonic figure and she preys on, she does what all sort of bad women in, in patriarchal myth do. She preys on the family, you know, she preys on children and she uh, turns up to men at night and, and uh, does terrible things to them, you know, makes them have sex against their will. Um, she, you know, she, she has that sort of character. So um, that is the inspiration for the book. Um, and really it's kind of a way in to look at this idea of the loss of female equality and a sort of a real moment in history when uh not a moment it took place over some, you know hundreds if not thousands yeah. of years but that 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 point in history when women lost equality when women lost uh when female divinity was uh uh you know written out the picture and um we end up with this sole male god you know whose uh, interests are very much aligned with men's interests curiously um and he doesn't seem to like women very much you know so that's odd um and that's what the book is about it's about it starts in the garden of eden and lilith spends six thousand years she's well at the beginning she's searching she's searching for her mother the missing mother the missing mother from the, the biblical story you know we've got this father who creates life without a mother where is she what's happened to her why is mm. there no mother that's strange and she goes looking for her mother she finds her and it's about the consequences of that. And it uh, it sort of follows her throughout 6,000 years of history. 
Wow. I mean, even in her most recent incarnation, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar, but the recent Diablo game came out and Lilith was a very central character in that. Yes, yeah, so I'm again... not a gamer. <laughs> so I know, I don't know. I know she's, you know, there's a lot of um, her sort of, I suppose the main way she's known, yes, in modern um, sort of popular culture is this demonic aspect, this sort of yeah. very... Uh, and it very much plays in that, you know, she's got the horns, she's yeah. beautiful but deadly, yes. you know, she forces people to worship her and do yes. things against their will and turn, you know, like say to have sex and drink and yeah. be raucous. Um, but there's still a, a real femininity to her. And I think it's very yeah. interesting that Lilith always seems to retain that, but it's seen almost like it's a negative quality, right? She's effeminate and beautiful, but that's not a good thing. She's got a fascinating historiography, really, because her sort of character and her sort of qualities change over time and place. And that idea of her as this sort of sexual, this very, very sexual being, that's that's kind of been there, you know, for at least a thousand years, because that was sort of in the medieval myth. But the Victorian idea of Lilith is, is sort of a huge part of that. This, And she very much, you know, that very much represents the Victorian male's sort of fear of female sexuality of you know oh no a beautiful woman's going to come and make me have sex with her you know against my will um this sort of this terror of of female sexuality and what women might do you know if they had power you know what you know the danger of of women um, being allowed to uh, express and explore their sexuality and that's very much you know a big part of of this idea of the of Lilith as this you know very sexual very sexy demonic figure and um, and I kind of haven't gone, gone with that in my book at all. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've gone more with the idea that she's the first woman, you know, she's equal, and she's pretty bloody furious about having been chucked out of paradise. And throughout the book, there are explanations as to how she acquired these, um, these sort of, uh, this reputation as a child killer and this reputation, this reputation as a succubus who, you know, seduces sleeping men. Um, but it's a very, very different take to the to the demonic yeah. aspect, certainly. Because who, you know, what is a you know what is an angel and what is a demon? It completely depends on your on your. Precisely, yeah, exactly. It's such an interesting narrative as well, because depending on how you look at some of the actions of angelic figures in the Bible, um, saintly figures in the Bible. Yeah. Now it's also through modern eyes. I think that's the other mm-hmm. thing, as you say. You know, this is thousands of years. Lilith's been in the picture and the views on her are so different depending on what time period you're Maybe. looking at her through yeah and so you know some of the saintly some of the people who are held up as saintly in the bible are absolutely horrific you know they're genocidal maniacs you know the it's not even like there's a fine line you know there are <laughs> there is no line the line's they're, gone they're, they're child slaughterers you know and they're held yeah. up as, as being saintly so um and that's a big part of the book as well. You know, why? Why Why is this, you know, why is this person vilified and this person is is sanctified? Um, and it's all to do, obviously, with the agenda of, of the people um, who wrote yeah. it. Um, yeah. And uh, that's sort of a, a huge part of the book. Yeah. And you said this is something that, you know, you were kind of writing on things that have been playing in your mind for a while. But what drew you to Lilith in particular and, and retelling her story? Well, I suppose really, actually, it was more about the, it was more about Eve, actually, that sort of the, the opening chap, the opening chapters of Genesis, I find so unbelievably offensive um, that I don't even know where to start, you know, I don't know where to start. I'll start with the father who creates life without a mother. Um, Not okay. Um, Then he creates man in his own image, you know, the default human, uh, and he creates woman 
out of him to signify man's uh, uh, superiority over her. He allows mm. man to name woman, which is another way of signifying his authority over. Then he asks man to name all the creatures of the world, signifying his authority over them. Now, in a nutshell, that's everything in my opinion, that's wrong with the world. You know, <laughs> that idea of male dominance over women, of man's dominance over the world, this idea of hierarchy rather than harmony, rather than mm -hmm. male and female being two halves of a whole, being two, you know, two, um, two equal parts who should be in balance, not in domination mm -hmm. over each other. So really, that was the start of it. And, you know, uh, that story has also been used to um, oppress women for so long. And it is so powerful. It's the most powerful myth there is because it is, you know, that story is the root of a sort of men, you know, claiming superiority over women. It's ordained by God. You know, that's, that's mm. the way. B, the idea of Eve being so gullible and so um, susceptible to evil. Um, you know, that plays into the ideas of women not being trusted, that women should never be an authority. You know, it's that story that was used by early Christians to deny women um, any sort of voice in the church, even though the whole point of the Christian church was supposed to be equality. Um, it has been used time and time again. And most and most sort of horrifically of all, it's the basis of the idea that um, it's the basis of the whole sort of witch uh, craft burnings, because the idea that Eve... Uh, is responsible is, is is aligned with the devil that she that the mm. devil can get through to women and not and 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 not men that women are, are, are sort of gullible and, and open to the devil that all comes from that story so it is you know there's a direct line from that story to the horrific murders of thousands hundreds of thousands of women so um i hate it mm. i hate it and i wanted to rewrite it and lilith seemed to me to be, and I wanted to point out the absurdity of it, the absolute absurdity of this idea of a creative being being all male and how offensive it is. So um, Lilith seemed to me the ideal way into it because she is the equal woman um, and she is, you know, she's there in the medieval myth. She is, you know, it's propaganda. It is, you know, this is what happens if, if, um, women have power you know this is, this is they're not obedient they're not doing as they're told yeah they're dangerous they will destroy the family um you know they're evil and um I wanted to turn that around and have Lilith as the equal return her to what she originally was which is the equal woman and to explore how damaging this idea of um, exclusive male divinity yeah. is how damaging it is that when women lost that idea of female divinity because it because that was universal, you know, at one point before the arrival of this sole male god, um, you know, the, the mother goddess was absolutely, yeah. uh, you know, triumphant everywhere in this part of the world. So um, I really wanted to sort of get into it that way. Um, and it was a sort of a way in more than anything else. The thing that's always struck me with that story in Genesis, as you say, is how Eve is created from Adam. Yes. And it's again, it, even that tale even takes away woman's ability to have children and to yes, procreate. Exactly. It takes that away completely. And so it's, it's a gift upon her, but that's been given to her by Adam. I think it's almost embarrassing. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> for men that it's so patent, you know, what that myth you know, is saying 
it's all about male fear of the female creative power. You know, they want to take that away from women. They want to, you know, they've given it to a man, a man who breathes and names things. You know, he doesn't go through the, the agony of nine months of, of self-sacrifice uh, to bring a new life into the world. He just breathes or names yeah. it, which is, uh, you know, a different thing. Um, and I think it's embarrassing because I think it's so patent what's going on there um, that, uh, you know, I just find the whole thing, it, it's so transparent. It's so obvious what yeah. the point of that story is. Um, and how long, you know, it has had that power and that currency, because it still does, you know, it still does. It does. You know, we're lucky in this country that it's not a very, you know, it's not a hugely religious uh, country, but in other parts of the world, that, that story still has huge amounts of power and is incredibly damaging to women. Yeah, that's still, you know, in many homes, it's still the idea of the woman is obedient, the woman takes care of the home, has the children, but they're, they're you know, they are different to the male. That is the way it works. And like you say, that's still very much the case. And that, yes, and that's the pattern sort of ordained in that story. And that is the sort of the basis of, uh, you know, the entirety of Western civilization. The whole of Western civilization is based on, that's the foundational myth um, on this horrendously misogynistic uh, myth. Yeah. So I, um, it's time for it to to end. Yeah, absolutely. And how did the writing process of this differ from On Wilder Seas? So that was, you know, a historical novel rooted in some fact. How, you know, with this, how did the process differ? Um, I guess I was more struck. I was more structured. I wasn't very wasn't very structured the first time because I um was naive. Um, <laughs> so I was more structured, and I had a very I, you know, when I started, actually, I wasn't really sure it was where it was going to end up. Um, and I sort of struck, you know, I lost my way quite a lot, but I was more, I had more of an idea about where it was going. You know, I knew there was going to be a section at the Garden of Eden. I knew there was going to be a section mm. on Noah's Ark. Um, the rest was slightly less clear to me, but that was, yeah. became clear going going forward. I suppose the main difference was being locked down, um, the only resources I had were those that were available on the internet. You know, when I wrote my first book, I was very reliant on 16th century texts and manuscripts and books that were only available at the British Library. So I used to write at the British Library, um, which is such a fantastic place to write. So if you... Yeah, I've many guests have come on and said that it's just <laughs> unreal. It's just heavenly because you might, you know, you'll, you'll be researching and then you'll th you'll see reference to one, to a book and there'll be like one copy in the whole country um, and it will be there. So yeah. you'll request it and then 40 minutes later it will turn up, you know, and, oh and when I was writing on Wild Seas as well, I was uh, hugely inspired by the, the sort of um, eyewitness account of Maria, which is at the British Library. So, you know, I'd be delivered to these manuscripts written in, uh, you know, in 16th century hand by someone, you know, who had wow. met Maria, my, my subject. So that was hugely inspiring. Very, very different to do it at home with sort of digitized. Yeah. <laughs> but I was lucky in that because all the things that, all, the, all of the sort of ancient texts and things that I was consulting, have been digitized and they are available. So, um, you know, I had access to everything I wanted. Um, it was just slightly less atmospheric. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite the same to just type uh, in a web address. A lot less atmospheric. And there were, and I pretty much wrote it with a six year old sitting next to me doing his homeschooling. Um, so that was very different. Perfect. That's what you just, everything is more productive with a six year old. 
Yeah, I did. I've got a, a photo of me writing with him next to me, almost crying. I thought, just Hemingway never had to write like this. This is just this isn't. You know, in Paris, Paris, getting just hobnob around, yeah, and some of us are just yeah, very different times. <laughs> not ideal conditions, but there we go. Yeah. And you know, what comes next for you now? You may not be able to tell me very much, but you've written two, as I say, two very different books. Where mm. do you go now? Um, I, there is something I very, very much want to do. Um, and it is also set in the ancient world. But I am going to take a break from writing because it has been um, a real, it's been really difficult to write this book. And um, almost the sort of thinking around it has been mm. very, very, very um, uh um exhausting and um this the run-up to the launch as well so I'm going to take a break but there's a thing that I really really want to write which I hope to be able to talk about at some point amazing and I think that's an important thing to talk about as well I think with because I think we see so many writers now who are writing mm. constantly and they have books out all the time but it's also yeah. important I think to remember that for some people there is you know things take more time it can be very mentally draining and that breaks are okay Absolutely. And I'm, I am a phenomenally slow writer. It took me seven years to write my first book. Um, this one took three years, so I'm definitely getting faster. You've half your time, less than, <laughs> more than half your time. <laughs> but um, I am really slow. Um, and I think there's value in that. You know, I really admire people. I'm, I'm not saying slow is better. I really admire people who, who can write fast. Um, but I am very slow. And I think I've accepted that now. That's fine. Um, and breaks are really important because it is a really, really, it's not just the sort of the process of writing a book, which is draining. The the business of publishing it is, is really very mentally draining. It can be really um, damaging to your mental health, um, especially if you've written something that you know some people are really not going to love. Yeah. Um, and you don't do, you know, I haven't set out to upset people um, at all. But um, if you want to write something that matters to you, you you are going to write something that upsets other people. And um, yeah. it's it's very difficult dealing with that mentally. So, yes, I, uh, I'm a big fan of taking breaks if you need them. Yeah. And I think if you're ever writing about a religious figure, there's yes. always going to be room, you know, whatever that incarnation is, however you're writing it, there's yes. always going to be people who oppose that incarnation that you've written who support it who are in the middle you're always going to find that and again even with kind of like Joan of Arc or big kind of historical figures people have such a rooted idea in their heads don't they of that figure and actually what I'm I was I was definitely expecting that about the religious aspects of the book what I was less prepared for but which I've now realized is a massive thing is that people have very very set ideas about their myths as well and people do not like um it when you alter or don't sort of align yourself with one particular facet of a myth um and that is really surprising to me because that's not how myths work you know myths you know especially ancient myths existed as you know in an oral tradition for yeah constantly altering constantly growing um, and changing the written you know the first the written the first written version is not the original that's come after you know uh, thousands of different versions because they would have been told in different times and places by different people who would have added things taken things away so that's not how myths work and it surprises me to find that people have a very very set idea and I've noticed it with other books as well um, that people do get very upset if you don't sort of stick to the accepted canon um, oh. as much as it is so my best friend and I have been writing a 
retelling of Hades and Persephone. So that's very interesting for me to be aware of. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Just be aware. I mean, it shouldn't stop you at all from writing it the way that you want to write it because everyone writes, you know, everyone. But I'm probably guilty of it. If I love Greek mythology. I love Roman mythology. And if I pick up something that's kind of, really twists it or changes it I'm a bit like "Mm, I I like it the way that it gets told but again that's what myths are for yeah yeah yeah. and 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 especially retelling a myth um the idea is to bring a different perspective to it that's the whole whole point and it's been done you know that's the way it's been done um you know for centuries you know the Victorians you know as I've mentioned already the Victorian idea of Lilith is very very different to Mm before and 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 what came afterwards um I don't know whether um you see there was a fantastic exhibition recently in which there was um a brilliant sculpture of Lilith by the American um artist Kiki Smith and her Lilith is absolutely terrifying she sort of crouches on the ceiling um, and she's oh, not wow. she's not beautiful she's just menacing um it's a phenomenal phenomenal sculpture you must um look it up uh, it came to the British Museum about a year ago. Um, oh. And, you know, these these different views uh, are all valid because they're all one person's interpretation of it. Yeah. Well, look, I, I can't wait to meet your Lilith. Uh, Lilith is a, a character that I've always found fascinating and I'm, I cannot wait to meet your version of her. <laughs> and I look, you've, we've got a novel here, you know, 16th century C, we've got ancient mysteries we've got all sorts going on here so your novel evening I feel like you could take us anywhere yes I did um I fought long and hard um and we've ended up largely uh, there's a real mix there's a real okay. mix um, okay we've 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 had, there's a there's a there's a good showing from the ancient from the ancient Ooh. one okay so the first thing I always ask the most important question is where are we going to go we are going to go to somewhere I've never been it's a real place it's a literary place it's a place I've never been but I was desperate to get and in fact had planned to go over lockdown and couldn't get there um and it is the location for the book The Enchanted April have you do you know it I haven't no tell me more oh well The Enchanted April is an absolutely wonderful book written um 100 years ago by Elizabeth von Armin who's one of my favorite writers and in this book um four women who've had enough of their lives take off and they go on holiday together and they take up residence in a medieval castle in Italy in Portofino and over the course of this month their lives change Um, and this setting Elizabeth von Arman is an absolutely fascinating person Um, she she was born in Australia married a German count so she wasn't sort of from huge wealth herself but she married this German count Um, and um, she was very eccentric. She was very, very, very funny. Her books are still funny. You know, they're a hundred years old. You read them, and you, they will make you laugh out loud. Um, and she really understands women and yeah. women's friendships and women's vulnerabilities. Um, I just absolutely love her. And when she descri- when she writes about this this place, it's called Cas- it's called San-, San Salvatore in the book. But in real life, it's called Castello Brown, which is a lot less romantic. That's, yeah. <laughs> exactly where she wrote The Enchanted April. She had gone there for a month. Oh, I love that. She wrote it, I think, possibly over the course of a month as well, which is incredibly impressive. Um, and 
you know the way she describes it is absolutely gorgeous this the sort of, sort of the, the colors the the sense she was very very into gardening so the way she describes nature is absolutely beautiful the sense um the you know the the sight the sparkling blue sea the color of the sky um it's absolutely incredible so um that is absolutely where where i want to go oh um, i like so this i like the description i'm already there Oh, absolutely. It just sounds absolutely beautiful. beautiful. Um, and I'm gutted that I've, I've, I've never made it. Um, but it's good to have something to aim for. Um, yeah, and the, your time will come. The time will come, absolutely. Um, the advertisement that it starts with these two women um, who are in a, a, a ladies club in London. And they, are, they, they see this advert in a newspaper that, that is addressed to those who appreciate wisteria and sunshine. <laughs> sort of advertising the rent of this amazing castle. And that's sort of what starts the book. So that is where we're going. That's the pitch you're putting out to your guests. That's yeah. the invite. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's the invite. So who are we kicking things off with? Who's coming to the castle first? Well, um, my first, the, the, the first character, first fictional character I, I, I want to have there is actually a, it's a particular fictional version of Jesus. Um, okay. I've read a lot of different fictional Jesus yep. for, for this book because he is, because he appears in Lilith, um, he is a very, very difficult character to write, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yep. Um, and I, so I read a lot of sort of, of, of professionals. I read, uh, you know, the Philip Pullman's version, um, Naomi Alderman's uh, version, um, Sue Monkhead, uh, her, she, she wrote a book about yep. Jesus' wife. Um, so and these are all, these are all fantastic books, but the one that I absolutely loved more than any other is um, the... Gospel According to Jesus Christ by Jose Saramago, who is a Portuguese writer. And, you know, really, I was sort of looking to these sort of other books for sort of reassurance. Yeah. It was OK to do what I was planning to do, which was to write about a man, uh, a special man. Um, and reassurance that it was OK to do that. And, um, you know, I, you know, I found that in spades in Philip Pullman and in Naomi Alderman and in Jose Saramago, because his his Jesus is very much a man. He is very fallible. He's bewildered a lot of the time. He has this sort of very passionate love affair with Mary Magdalene, um, but he is bewildered. Um, and it's that sort of very human um, uh, sort of questioning yeah. character that that um, that I'm drawn to. And it's that mm. it's it's that character. Um, that I would want uh, to to join me in in this uh, in this villa. So there's no so, pressure. We've just kicked things off with Jesus. Okay, I I, I have yes, okay. <laughs> I have. Um, but to be clear, a very particular yes representation, uh, not a not the historical character. Yes, okay. a character. So yeah, very much so. Um, and uh, Jose Saramago's book is just so it's it's funny it's brilliantly funny <laughs> it's so it's it's irreverent um but it's beautiful and it's philosophical you know there's a brilliant bit where where Jesus is meeting his disciples and as he as he meets them all he sees how they're all going to die in these absolutely horrific ways um it's actually just really really moving and there's there's another bit where where um uh, Mary his mother 
um, has been sort of approached by the the angel uh, Gabriel, and she asks him. You know, he's told her that she's going to be carrying this 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 child of God, and um, she asks him for a paternity test because she <laughs> says, "How can I? How can I be sure?" <laughs> I love that. Yeah, most of the people around Jesus didn't fare particularly well. There's a brilliant TikTok huh. going around that's like if it was an 80s movie, you know, at the end where it like reveals the fates <laughs> of each of them. And it had me howling because all of them, if you were a friend of Jesus, you didn't fare well. That's that no. was the expectation. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um and yeah, he but I love it. I just love the way he's he's written this book because it's just very, very, you know, although it's irreverent, it's also very, very moving um and and just and just so sort of uh, funny as well the way, the way when he mentions um the fact that all the women in the bible are called mary and they're basically there just to do whatever the men tell them to yep. um, you know and, uh, uh, i love i love it it's a fantastic it's an absolutely fantastic book which i highly recommend so this version of jesus has arrived who's yes. going to follow G- this is someone to follow now if i'm allowed am i allowed am i allowed a character of my own yes of course you are because the, the rules other- here are very flexible. There okay. aren't really rules. <laughs> because the second person I want there is someone who is in my book. And I want her there because I didn't get to spend much time with her. Um, and I loved her. And the structure of the book, because it takes place over such a long period of time, it takes place over 6,000 years in each sort of set, five parts. Each part is in its own particular time and place. So you have the right. the, the immortal characters who sort of run throughout and then each each of the other sort of mortal characters are in their own time and place. Yep. So Jezebel has a sort of a starring role in my Ooh, book. Ooh, okay. And um, Jezebel is someone I absolutely want there because she is a lot of fun. She is rude. She's vain. She's absolutely gorgeous. Um, she's passionate. She's got her own sort of um, uh, sort of way of looking at the world. She's got her own goddess who she's very happy worshipping. She's not interested in, 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 in changing that for her new husband um she's just a lot of fun she gets drunk quite a lot um she dances very provocatively um and the men around her you know not are not happy about this at all um so I want Jezebel there because I feel like I didn't get to spend enough time with her um and I wanted to spend more more time with her I loved writing her I loved finding out about the sort of historical uh, evidence for her and the sort of the historical background to her yeah. and the sort of you know who wrote that who wrote the book of kings which is where she appears in the bible you know when they wrote it why they wrote it yeah and why they hate her so much you know those that's kind of what you know that's a huge part of my book you know who is saying these things about these these biblical women and why and there's a very very good reason why she ends up being the most vilified person in the bible um mm-hmm. And it won't surprise you to learn that she doesn't deserve it. That's not a shock, but she sounds like a fun party guest. She's fun. And you know what? Here's it. Here's the thing. According to the Bible, she's also one of Jesus's um, ancestors, which is oh. not hugely ad- well advertised. Um, and it's a strange. I wonder a- why. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, and again, oddly, you know, in the, 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 the Bible gives them, it's through Joseph, who is famously... Yep not really supposed to be the father so it's uh, the line that's given in the bible is 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 through joseph but she is one of uh joseph's ancestors um so she yeah she's just she's an absolutely fascinating character um who has you know been given a really 
you know, bad part to play for the past nearly 3,000 years, which... which You start off very strong. So we've got Jezebel and Jesus, which is not a party I thought I'd really want to go to, but now... No, but um, who knows where it's going to take us. I I think it depends who else is coming. (laughs) That's true. That... That is true. Um, now I'm now I'm worried. Now I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who is gonna who's gonna walk into this room? I feel sorry for whoever's walking into the room with Jesus and Jezebel and us just sat there. Yeah, I tell well, I tell you who else is also there. Elizabeth von Arman is definitely there because she's okay. there. She needs to be there. She's writing um, an enchanted April because she's absolutely someone who I I would absolutely love to meet and I feel like I feel like I've got this really strange uh, connection to her as well because I'm absolutely obsessed with her love all her books I think she's absolutely amazing and then only recently I found out that she she died in America Mm. but her ashes were brought back and interred with her brother who is buried about a mile away from me Um, so I feel like I feel like we have a special bond I feel like we're I love that when that happens, though. It's just it's too coincidental. It's, it, exactly. It's too coincidental. Yeah. Um, so she's definitely there. Um, the next person who's coming is also a writer. My okay. Probably one. You can't really pick your favourite writer of all time, can you? It's too hard. But possibly the writer who I love, oh, I love more than any other, um, is Kurt Vonnegut. I absolutely oh okay. Word he's ever written. He, um, I don't know if you've ever read any of his books. I have. I would ha- I would have to have a look and remember what I have read. It was a very right. long time ago, I feel like. Yes, could be Slaughterhouse-Five or or Breakfast of Champions of his two sort of big ones. But I absolutely adore him. He is funny, um, melancholy, um, full, you know, his writing is all about the absurdity of life, about the joy of life and the sadness of life. Yeah. Uh, he's relentlessly funny um and he's so wise he's so wise you know so many of the sort of the um things I think about a lot you know I think there's a lot of sort of uh, mottos and sort of writing advice uh, yeah even at writing advice because he used to teach writing as well um so a lot of the things that I think about a lot come from come from Kurt Kurt Vonnegut um you know his his uh, so it goes. You know whenever someone in his books dies, so it goes. You know and yeah. that acceptance of the difficulties of life. I find very appealing. Um, and you know he writes. He's sort of very interested in religion. He was a humanist. Um, he famously said when Isaac when Isaac Asimov died, and he took over from from Asimov as um, president of the American Humanist uh, Association. Um, he started off his eulogy. With, with Isaac is up in heaven now <laughs> yeah <laughs> which makes me laugh um he he's just someone who is a lot of fun and I think he would get I think he was very very um although he was an atheist and a humanist he was very respectful um yeah of relig- religious people I think he would be drawn to uh both to Jesus and to Jezebel he loved the female form. I think he would really, really get on with Jezebel. Yeah. Um, he wants to describe one of, in one of his books. He describes a woman as a sensational invitation to make babies. Um, <laughs> that might my <laughs> my favorite line I've ever heard. Yeah. So I feel like he. I think he'd appreciate Jezebel for her. I think he's going to hold his own in this scenario, and he'll have some interesting conversation. So I think so. Yeah. 
Have you got uh, anyone else coming? Uh, yes, yes, yes. We have, we have, we have some more people coming. Um, we, I sort of realised when I was sort of putting together all these people, I realised I have a very particular type. I like, I like, I have a sort of a, quite a gendered view of the, the, the people who I want to sort of. Okay. I guess the men are sort of sensitive and thoughtful, um, and and witty. Um, and women are sort of funny and and formidable and and quite scary. Um, I like that. That's a nice pairing, though. Yeah, I think it works. I think it works. So the next person I want is 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 um, a character from the Muriel Spark novel, um, Far Cry from Kensington. Have you have you read that? I haven't. I have. To, um, woefully, I haven't read that many Muriel Spark books. But tell oh, me, tell me about this character. She is absolutely brilliant. She is so it's set in the nineteen fifties. She is um, a woman, a very formidable woman who works in publishing. She's kind of just this majestic woman who just simply will not not sort of compromise in any yeah. way. She gets into trouble because she keeps there's this writer who she keeps sort of coming into contact with, and she has this sort of insult for him. She calls him a pisseur de copy, you know. The, in, in in French that's yep. her sort of insult for him and she just can't stop saying it she says it every time she sees him she says it every time he comes up in conversation she says it at every publishing party she goes to and it kind of ruins her career because he's very well connected and but throughout she just simply will not back down like this is her big thing there's more plot to the book than that there's like poison pen letters and there's sort of you know loads of stuff going on but really this book is about just the most fantastic woman who I adore um you know this woman who never back down never apologize even when it's sort of harming her to sort of carry on with this sort of campaign that she's got yeah. she just won't she just she just won't stop um oh I feel like her and Jezebel already I can see there's going to be yeah they would get on they would get on and I think that's kind of yeah that's that's kind of when I wrote was writing Jezebel I mean I didn't I, I don't think I'd read um, Far Cry from Kensington at that point but that sort of character is very much in my mind um you know so it was very important to me that when when Jezebel sort of in the bible you know Jezebel's end comes when she is thrown out of a window um I didn't I didn't want that to happen I wanted her to choose what was going on so it was yeah. very important to me that Jezebel jumps that she's the agent of her of yeah her, her life um you know and, and she, you know she's at this point in her life where she's seen what's coming she's seen the situation she's seen the lie of the land um, and her choices are basically submit to this man yeah. or not submit and she will not submit so that's a, a, a quality that I find very attractive in women that yeah refusal to give up refusal to submit refusal to um, allow other people to dictate the, the the terms of your the terms of your life yeah um, I do sense a theme I can definitely like you said sort of gen <laughs> gentler men yeah. very strong women is going on here okay you've got quite a group gathered already who's going to be joining the fray um uh, I suppose they, there, there is someone else who I would like who again is very 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 similar have you read the least the Lisa Evans trilogy old baggage mm -hmm and Crooked Heart. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful books. Um, and again, there's a very sort of similar character in that called, called Matty Simpkins, and she is an ex-suffragette. Um, uh, the books, are, the, well, the books take place over different, there's three books. Um, they take place uh, in different times and places, but when we 
the first one chronologically, although it's not the first one she wrote, the first one chronologically um, is in the late 20s. And Matty is this, you know, she's out of the uh, suffragette era um, and she just she won't give up the fight. You know, she, they, you know, they've achieved their goals, but she won't give up the fight and she's still fighting for this better world. And yeah. um, she sets up she wants to set up this um, uh, girls group on Hampstead Heath and she wants to sort of set up it's all kind of like a girl guide thing where they do sort of activities on the heath and she wants to sort of guide these young minds and sort of impart her wisdom to them and of course things don't go as expected because there's all sorts of things happen where which yep. everything goes horribly wrong but she is just the most incredible literary creation she is just funny and witty and kind um and uh, she's just completely unforgettable, completely unforgettable. So I think, um, and if you haven't read them, the, the, the three books in the series are all absolutely wonderful. Um, there's Crooked Heart, which was the first one, Old yep. Baggage and V for Victory, which uh, is set during the war, so much later on. Um, and it's about Matty and her sort of adopted son, Noel, who is also another wonderful character. Um, so there, I think we've got, I think we've got a collection of, of, of sort of uh, uh, difficult women Feisty, difficult women, sensitive, kind, thoughtful men. Yeah. Um, I think. I think it's, it's gonna be an interesting night. It's hard to call where this will go. No. <laughs> Who knows? No, no, which are the best nights? We love that. And usually, this is where I ask if there's anyone who's not welcome to your evening. Yeah, there are definitely there are definitely at least two people who aren't welcome. Um, the first is one, that's uh, actually another writer's imagining of Lily. Not because I don't like it. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But just because she's a total nightmare. Um, so um, Monique Roffey, uh, who's yep. wrote The Tryst. And The Tryst is, the character isn't Lilith, but she's inspired by Lilith. Um, it's about this demonic, demonic immortal woman called, called Lila. And... Um, it's set in the modern day and there are two there's a, a married couple meet her in a bar there's um called jane and bill they meet this sort of you know fairly ordinary woman in a bar and for some reason um jane decides to invite her back to their house and what follows is just <laughs> horrific okay. it's just this sort of several days long bender of sex and alcohol um and so Lila is this sort of horrendously cruel, vindictive um, character. And she's just sort of hell bent on sort of ruining this marriage and and wow. using Bill as her sort of, you know, her sex toy. Um, so she she's not she's not. No, well we don't need that. That's not the vibes that we're going for. No, she's not welcome. Um, she's not a nice sex demon at all. She's brilliantly written. She's but we don't very, want her at a party. No. no no that's very fair no. who is the other one that's not welcome the other person who i really don't want turning up is 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 god you know the... <laughs> do you know what i had a feeling i had a feeling and i am in agreement yeah and very specifically again you know i don't want to tread on anyone's toes and how their conception of of, of um of, of their deity i won't uh, I, I don't want to tread on anyone's toes there very particularly, I'm talking about the God, uh, as described in the Old Testament, who is really not a nice character. He's a, that's the real, like, fire and brimstone, 
he's um you know he's misogynistic he's genocidal he's obsessed with how people worship him um he uh he's just not he's not a nice character at all and i really really don't really want him there um and uh, he he's a he's a vibe spoiler definitely yeah we don't need that that's that's very fair and i think you've curated a night that is going to be full of conversation it could go a little wild it could it could there will be dance there will probably be dance you know jezebel's gonna dance she is definitely gonna dance and she will sort of things and and shout and she will fall over um and i mean we do love one of those at a party though that's what makes a party fun and someone will pick her up and um you know give her a glass of water and it probably cut i feel like he'll look after her when things go he would he would take care of her um yeah i I, I like it it's a nice it's a nice evening in a beautiful setting and look before i let you go and enjoy the rest of the sunshine i have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment uh, I'm always, 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 always reading. Um, I'm about to, in fact, I have just started, but only just in the first couple of pages of Wayward um, by Amelia Hart. Um, oh, you're in for a real treat. Yes, I'm very excited about it. I heard her speak um, at um, a book club event um month or two, month, two months ago, mm. maybe. Um, I mean, I loved, I, I sort of loved the premise of the book already, but hearing her speak about it, I, it was fantastic. She's... Um, you know, I love the way she describes it. So um, I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. It's beautiful. And I'm going to let you go and curl up in the sunshine with your book, because I think this is the perfect weather in which to read all about witchy women in nature. And look, I wish you all the best with Lilith. I cannot wait to meet her. And it's been so fantastic to chat with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me on. Loved speaking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.